I love toilet paper. It's useful. Um, it's <laughs> cheap. How many ply is your standard toilet paper? I, I like that plushy soft stuff, but not like the sweater stuff that you can't flush where you're like, you know, you possibly use too much. You're like, oh, this is, won't, this, well, it's clogged every time. But, Dude, um, those, those bear commercials are honestly creepy if you really think about it. <laughs> <all the> <laughs> that, that, that bear is not, that, he's not wiping his ass. And he's right. not bathing properly. Why are they so fixated on it? Like, they're just a normal family. They're always talking about it. Just a normal family of bears. Why do they always talk about toilet paper? What bears talk about, maybe. Like, hey, remember eating those campers? That one came out a little rough. <laughs> <laughs>
incident response team was pretty quick. They got a replacement car out there like real fast. Well, see, they already had it because it was going to break in that. Yeah, there you go. In that article, they have the picture of it on the set and it's got no doors. Like, is that the car they stole? <laughs> like, with no doors on it? No, 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 no. Like, what are we going to do with no, it? No. Missing the, all the, the doors. The car that was stolen was an X7, right? So that's kind of like the SUV. 7 Series, not an X7. Oh, okay. But yeah, well, it says uh, BMW X7, right? I thought it was a 7. Yeah, it said X7 in the It says the X7, article. but the tabloid shows a BMW 7 Series outside of filming. So... It's so basically, we're going on fil- thin data. Yeah, here. right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there's a car with no doors in the article. Like, is that the one they stole? Because yeah. I really want to know. Like, okay, now we have the car. What's our next steps? And How do we sell a car that has no doors and was once driven by Tom? Cruise? And it has the camera located on the front, right? So they're driving. Around, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> so it's so I've got a question. To... I want to walk through this attack real quick to make sure yeah. I've got this stuff laid out right. So with these key fob attacks, what happens? is you have to get close enough to the car with a repeater and you have to be close enough to a, a, the key fob. So you basically are connecting the key fob in the car wirelessly. You can do it over a cell network, anything that throws yeah, TCP link. between the two. And then yeah. I'm, I'm guessing they're just using some kind of SDR or like GNU radio package to actually pull this off. So there's more to this. Like number one, they had to get close enough to the car to get to the point where the repeater would go through. The other thing is they had to be close enough to the key fob someplace yeah. else. It might, it might, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. this through, it's, it's, right? it's like a right? two-person operation every it's, time they want to like use a, it. Yeah. It's like a three-person op, right? Because you got to think about it. Someone has to be there. So, like, you, you got to call it out, right? So, somebody is most likely figuring out where the key fob is. Someone is getting close with the bag. And then the other person is close on site to, to take the car, right? And you have to yeah. coordinate all three of those things, right? And so there's someone following the other person who has the key fob, and then the other person who is probably going to, you know, attack. You could probably do it with two, but, but if you really wanted to be sure, you're going to probably need a third three. person. Yeah. But, but as smart as you would have to be technologically to pull all of that crap off, right? You got three people, you're working together. It sounds like, you know, you're, you're, you're breaking down Ocean's Eleven, right? You know, you got to have one person in <laughs> three person operation. You got to do this. And then at the end of it, the car has built-in GPS right. so they yes. can track where the freaking car is. I, I just can't see these thieves like sitting around and being like, oh, crap. We were so good at all the other tech. We completely forgot it had GPS. And it <laughs> forgot. It it has to be back to our house. Like, God, don't oh, you think right. somebody would have thought that? Every time, Bill, you forget that one thing. <laughs> it had to just be like a drunken, you know, like a project that just went too far. It was like, what if we, oh, yeah, we could actually, we have that from that gig we did. Wait, what about this? Oh, why don't we just do it? Oh, oh he's right here. And like everything just fell out. Oh, yeah. Like, do you think this is really targeted against Tom Cruise or was this a matter of no. you know, opportunity? You know, they're by the shopping because they were within walking distance. So, like John said, you got to be close. So, within the shopping center to the parking lot, somebody was able to relay that key fob. And we've seen it a lot on, um, if you go on the news on YouTube and stuff, you can see previous takes where they walk up to your house. Um, right up to the door, and they've got it to relay back. And like Ralph said, there's usually a, a three-man crew, three-person you, you know who's in the perfect position to pull off this attack, though? Just just real quick? Mm-hmm. Like, the prop guys. Because all they have to do is walk up to Tom Cruise and be like, hey, put this in your pocket. It's very important for your next shot. Like, puts it in there <laughs> next to the key fob. Then, the, Like, you could do it with one guy in this particular situation, because now you have your relay in the pocket, then you just walk over to the car, open it up and drive away and be like, see, I told you so. All right, John, new swag idea. Key fob tinfoil hats. There we go. <laughs> 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 you can put it in. 
Well, but we've discussed the tinfoil hats thing. It, it, it only it only amplifies those frequencies. <laughs> yeah, gold foil. We, gold foil. we need gold foil hats. It's going to be an expensive what? merch option coming soon. Yeah. So we need to get we need to get a Wild West Hack and Fest lab where we do this. Like we we intercept the key presses and replay them for breaking into a car. We've got that, but we really really need to set up a lab where we can actually have like a Tesla key fob system that we can yeah. like after something to play this. Because depending on the hard. depending on how complicated of a system you're doing it, you can actually do this with like two Raspberry Pis and like some guitar wire. I did it with like an old with an older car at one point as just an experiment. MacGyver, <laughs> MacGyver. No, you really can because like it's got certain frequencies available to it. But yeah, especially if you're like an SDR radio module, that would be ideal. But yeah, so two Raspberry Pis could totally build something out. So would you use GNU Radio for this? Or yeah, when I did it, I just did. Now that one was not quite the same as the full re- like the full relay attack. But I I did do the relay. It was just less exciting because I pushed the unlock button and then like relayed it across like. A distance it couldn't normally relay that far to, and then it unlocked. So but, a hack RF, I don't think would work for this, right? Because hack RFs are not bidirectional. You'd have to use like an Edis board or something that can send right. and receive on both sides. Uh, attached to the Raspberry Pis, correct? Yeah, to my knowledge, I think so. It's okay. been a while since I did that project, but yeah, it should be something we could totally set up a lab for. We just need Tom Cruise. Someone, yeah, to- yeah, we just need to get Tom Cruise. That's an integral part <laughs> of this whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it go would never work. That's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, you know what? We'll try. We'll see. We'll see. Well, I think actually one of the the real life, well, some real life advice from this is that uh, what I think also the car manufacturers are saying is don't keep your key fob next to your door. So if you come home, just mm-hmm. put the key somewhere further away from the door, and ideally put it in some kind of container that doesn't doesn't allow this attack well the uh the one i've seen with the tesla too they're actually relaying the uh the bluetooth i'm pretty sure because that's how you actually unlock the tesla there is a key fob for the tesla as well but it's not active so it's similar to rfid it is rfid right so you power the fob right when you are you power the card when you put it next to the door but the bluetooth on the other hand on your phone you can amplify that and that's how they're stealing teslas i have a question would encryption help at all in this sort of scenario? And why isn't there a more secure way to make this key? To it, it doesn't help thing. because you're just no. tunneling it. So you take the you're yeah. just duplicating the signal. It's because it's like passively always broadcasting that that key out. And so all you have to do is just get a copy of it in real time and then send it to the car. So actually latency can be a bit of a pain, but that's about it. Because I think some of got to be bidirectional. Shouldn't this be like certificate based? Like you have, your car has a certificate and your key fob has a certificate and the encryption or whatever. Right, but if you it's a man in the middle attack is what this sums up yeah. to. So yeah. it, it it's doesn't matter. You're in the middle. And it's not even really it, it's not really a man in the middle either because you're bridging the wireless signals. So it's not like you're going through a routing intermediary. Like if you think about man in the middle attacks on web servers, if you're trying to man in the middle of that attack, you're gonna get server errors. With this, you're literally just passing the signal back and forth to make it do what it does. And it really only does one thing passively. And you just allow it to continue doing that. The only way to around is two-factor. You have the key and you have like something else. Like yeah, No one would do it. No one would, no one would want to unlock it. then all you have to do blood. is just set it up as a bi-directional system. So that way, it, the car, the, if you wanted the car to verify your key, you just say, okay, okay like now I have a second code. repeater. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like he, you have the key, and then you press like one, two, three, yeah. four on the car. That oh, yeah. Or, or, or that's use how, biometrics or something. 
So that's Maybe. how the Tesla works. Tesla has the option to enable a pen, okay? So that when you get into the car, you have to have the key and then you have to enter a pen, okay? And that makes it almost impossible to steal it because they would have to figure out what the pen was. The pen doesn't have to be complicated, but you gotta realize that someone had to stage this up. They get into the car, they're ready to start, and then it's like, well, enter the pen. And they're like, well, we didn't go that far, right? Although if it's just a friend, you only get like three or four tries and then you have to log into your Tesla account so then it gets harder and more difficult but it is a the the signal that you guys are talking about it is encrypted right so like that is an encrypted signal but it doesn't matter because just because it's encrypted it's the same with hid you know hid prox wasn't encrypted so here here's the benefit of having an encrypted signal right i can't clone the key okay but i can still rebroadcast the signal and then you know um, yeah, because an early play. iteration on this was replay attacks. And so they started yep. encrypting yep. them so you can't do replay attacks on them. But this isn't a replay attack. It's it's just extending the range. Pin. That's that's what the the BMW probably supports. At BHIS, we like recommend a 14 character password on your Tesla. No one is enabling that. No one is doing it. No one would ever two factor their car for the record. I just want to drive to wherever so what was the problem with keys like real Uh, keys that you just like had pieces of metal and yeah they're dirty dirty. (laughs) well i mean we we pick locks too each one has its benefits and oh actually the keys were were two-factor how they're implemented because almost every car had an actual physical key to turn a physical solenoid or whatever and also like an rfid chip in the um, in the key yeah so like you're right but people want to push a button or if it's a tesla push a nothing and just get in their car and drive and you so. just hit the gas and then it turns on yeah you hit the gas and it knows to go forward back it knows where to drive you it's perfect it is ai <laughs> it is perfect that's why we're so know. lazy like people are like exactly like yeah. i want a button, I want a button. we're still so no, far from kit though anymore i just want to put my feet on the brake i don't even want that anymore Every day we keep getting closer to the world of Wally. Like we're just this far away. Oh, totally. Just transport the donuts to my mouth, please. Yeah. (laughs) Just fly them in. Wow, that one took up a lot of time. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Tom Cruise, for giving us so much to talk about. And uh, we're glad you got another BMW. Okay, so moving on. Oh, you guys want to talk about ransomware or do you want to talk about data brokers? What do you guys want? Let's talk I think about ransomware is a recurring segment, dude. We we yeah. always talk about ransomware. Yeah, we have to say that for the ransomware part of the show. Oh uh, yeah, that's when we get it. Like you know, play the sad song and you know, arm for the angel. Okay. <laughs> How about we talk about data brokers and selling access to the backbone of the internet? I believe John, you actually pointed this one out. If I'm not mistaken, data warehouses are a thing, and all your information is getting sold. To the highest bidder and so one of those uh pieces of that is from isps and what sites you're visiting and the traffic flows so this is the net data and trying to figure out trends and other things around that and um it's bad so what do you guys I, 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 I saw, i'm glad this one showed up but this is this goes back to people don't know like this goes back to something we've talked about philosophically on the show a lot it's you are the product and if you're yeah. the ISP, or sorry, if you're a customer of an ISP, they're taking that data and they're selling it out the back end for threat intel. Once again, you are the product. And I, once, I don't think that people quite understand just how much they're bought and sold and in such a kind of, kind of a callous fashion. But the fact that this looks like it's actually by the security industry for threat intel 
That mm-hmm. really spooks me because even at BHIS, if somebody's like, so do you want NetFlow data from an entire ISP? Hell no. I don't want that data. <laughs> you're just waiting for that, that hack that comes in. And then all of a sudden your entire company is completely cracked open because you got compromised because you had this data. And your, your name is mud at that point. I don't know what you guys think about it, but this, out of all the news stories that I read last week, this one has me the most uncomfortable. So for those that don't know, NetFlow data would be basically IP address and port flows across an entire ISP. So like Corey lives at 127.0.0.1. He connected to port 443 on this IP address. Usually I don't think it, I mean, obviously you could enrich it with DNS, but like, I guess I do want to stop off at technical avenue over here. Like what is the usefulness of NetFlow? Because like I'm thinking a lot of internet stuff is AWS. That stuff rotates a lot. Like how you i mean obviously there are well, sites that don't rotate you'd have to enrich it but like is I, I it, think it as I think it's bad about as we think correlation it i think it's about correlation and time right so you can figure out go mm-hmm. back and be like hey what happened at this time what this connection was connected from where from on the internet and being able to search that you know the data like how lakes. much time i spent on facebook you get the list no, of facebook no no like what where were where were people at certain times like where could have this connection originated mm-hmm. from right like building that map of that picture quickly not just like trying to piece it together you know on a whiteboard right that's yeah. that's what this data could be used oh, for and, and then also for threat intel you can say we know that these are malicious ip addresses we can tell exactly who from these isps had visited these ip addresses and and we're lucky it depends on the fidelity of the netflow data i thought they said netflow and ip picks if, if i'm not mistaken but you can see who else has attended and actually gone to those places. And what a lot of threat Intel vendors like to do from a sales perspective is they like to go to a very large company, go to the company and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm going to pick on, let's say, AT&T. AT&T, we have threat Intel data that we can see that leaving your network, we see something in the order of like 16 gigs of data going to known bad IP addresses. And then AT&T or GE or whatever company goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Can I get some more context around that? They're like, sorry, that's going to be a contract for like a million dollars a year for threat intel. <laughs> and then they write the checks to actually get that. So yeah, they use it in a variety of different threat intel areas, but still it just makes me super uncomfortable. If you could associate this with bad actors IPs and you could actually start figuring out where they're all communicating with, right? So mm-hmm. yes, I can't read the data but I can see where it's going and I can see how much of it's going, right? Not just like one single connection. So yeah, there's definitely a picture of traffic that you could start to draw around, you know, what protocol it was, where it was going, where it originated and how it got there. If you have enough of that data to correlate it all, then yeah, you can really start painting pictures of like what people were doing most likely. Yeah, Um, I'm assuming it's commercialized as probably advertising, right? Like they're probably like, oh, you spend a lot of time on websites related (laughs) to dogs. Let's send you dog ads in the mail or whatever. There there have been documents of ISPs doing that where they'll sell um they'll sell your like they'll they'll give like an internal DNS resolver and they'll use that and sell it to ad agencies to help get ad recommendations and stuff like that. Yeah, because if if you control, if you can gain access to the NetFlow data, and you can gain access to the DNS data, if you can get both of those data sets, you can actually correlate the two. And we do this at Active mm-hmm. Countermeasures all the time with Zeek data, and then you can actually see not only that this person went there, what they were looking up, and what they were doing. So there's a lot that you can mine for this, and understand that a lot of this data doesn't exist in a vacuum in and of itself, but they're actually taking it and they're correlating it and enriching it with other data sources as well. So it's not just by itself, it's being used in conjunction with a lot of other data sets. 
Yeah, so like I mean, I use the Zeek data side. quite a bit in hunts and stuff, and you can get all sorts of data where you can start taking like the DNS logs, pairing those up with your HTTP logs, and then you can start to get a much broader picture of, okay, I have now a full URI of the site you visited, so I could go to that page and figure out where you downloaded that file from. And if your ISPs have that information and they sell that to someone, now whoever they sold that to has that same information. So this episode is sponsored by NordVPN, right, guys? Great Shadow Legends. Use VPNs if you're if you're worried about this. Use VPNs, and, and you can also enable DNSSEC or TLS uh, DNS over TLS. Uh, well, there. This article says that they're tracing malicious activity through a dozen or more proxies and VPNs. So yeah, is your a... VPN has to not sell your data too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and how much data? How much? How many petabytes or whatever of data are we talking about that this has to search through? And like, how far back would it go? I would assume easily petabyte scale, if not. You have a ton of data, but this this does yeah. raise. Corey brought up a huge point, though. Like these free VPN services they're almost as good as nothing because what they're doing is they're saying like, oh yeah, we'll hide your information from your ISP, but then we're going to turn around and sell it to the same people. So that way, at least we get paid for it now. That's why you need to, if you're going to go with a VPN, especially a public VPN, you need to make sure that you trust them. Alternatively, you're almost far better to do something like a digital ocean and tear it down every night with like some automation and rebuild it every night or whatever. But yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's so many better options than public VPN. But if you do, you need to make sure you trust them and have a relationship with them. That's a better relationship than you have with your ISP. Otherwise, you might as well just use your ISP. I you call my trust. VPN every day and talk to them. I don't, I, I like, don't browse hey. the internet unless I'm three VPNs deep. routing through tor that's pretty yeah no actually as a fun fact i make extra money running a tor exit node you know what i mean like a little profit i'm just i don't know he's over here like what are you doing dude (laughs) (laughs) you are doing a lot of bad things like i'm not doing those things that's a tor exit node one of my favorite stories that that i've heard kind of like isps talking to people is fyodor the author of nmap has a habit of like scanning the entire internet regularly and rumor has it that one time he was scanning the entire internet and his isp called him and they said look your network is infected with a botnet we have you have to shut this down immediately and he said well my name's fyodor i wrote this tool called nmap and i'm scanning the entire internet and rumor has it the isp was like oh gosh we're fans so now they let him scan from their backbone instead of his own network so uh, that, that is perfect. That, that would be so epic. I, I would like to get to the level where I have that level of cash in the industry where mm. people are like, oh, you're John Strand. Well, here, have access to our backbone. What would you like? I'm like, everything. You're like, I, I just want the internet. Can I have I a just satellite, please? I just want high speed internet at my house. <laughs> They're like, sorry, no can do. No, yeah, no, we, yeah, that's not possible. Yeah, we're going to have to wait three no. more years. No. It's oh, on our roadmap, maybe. though. Don't forget the it's on our roadmap. Statement yeah, it's on our roadmap. Yeah, we're planning on bringing mm. fiber out in your place in late 2025. So you just got to sit tight till then. Speaking of too being too big to uh, to fail, uh, what about Microsoft? I guess their cloud offering. Microsoft's oh, no. been doing so good recently. Oh. Um, but hold on, let me bring let me bring the picture together. Okay, so we have Microsoft on all their recent vulnerabilities. Sad, and then we have their cloud. And what if we combine those together? And we brought a new vulnerability that's affecting the Cosmos database. So yeah, I guess on. hold on, 
pause for just a second. I want everybody who's watching to take a couple of moments, put the camera back on Ralph. And I want you to notice that Ralph looks happy. He looks at, look, he's giddy. <laughs> he's got a twinkle in his eye. And I want to make it very clear to everyone watching this, that whenever you see someone who breaks into places, who's that giddy and happy, what is about to come out of his mouth is not good for everybody else. So Ralph, continue and tell us about the future of Nightmare. Yeah, so uh, Microsoft has announced that there's a vulnerability in Microsoft's Azure flagship Cosmos database, right? And there is a current vulnerability that is offering the ability for attackers to read, change, and even delete information in some of these databases. They, they have said that there, to customers, there's no evidence of the flaw has been exploited, no external attacks yet. So they deleted um, the evidence, got it. Yes, they deleted all the evidence, and I'm assuming that they have fixed this. You know those uh, guys but, that were stealing Tom Cruise's BMW? These guys are not those guys. This disclosure doesn't come after a bunch of other bad news. They've, nothing bad has happened at Microsoft recently. This is, uh, this is bad. Correct. I think. Ah, uh, them to be quiet. Yep. Paid them forty grand. Well, they were like the former CTO of Azure Security or something. It says in the article, which I thought was interesting that they pointed that out. But so if this is a bug bounty program. How much would this be worth? Like, if Wiz Security decided to go and try to get a bug bounty from Microsoft, like, is this? No, they paid him or them forty thousand, right? For finding the flaw and reporting it is what they're saying. Forty thousand is forty thousand enough, really? Compared to the <laughs> amount of damage this could have done to the whole. Well, how customer? much is the data worth? How much right. is the data worth? Oh my god! I mean, Microsoft sells it for pennies on the gigabyte. So what's funny about this, and Corey will like, is that this actual flaw was in the virtualization tool called Juniper Notebook, and that has been available for years. Whoa, and no, was it was in the. No, it was a, it was interaction between features, right? You have two yeah. as a service offerings. Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. like a classic yeah. cloud. I'm sure this is covered in the cloud pen testing 101 class. You have two as a service offerings that interact in a feature rich way that security is not going to play well in those two situations, right? You have yep. Jupiter, which is like a basically a run your code, enter it here and run it in our environment, and then you have a database. Which those two things are like. We're meant to give data to people and we're meant to run code. That's like a very difficult yeah. <laughs> security posture to design. So uh, could we all hypothesize that we're going to see more cloud exploitation like this, right? That affects nope. lots of people because... Nope. No, good? I'm pretty okay. sure the cloud this is, is just a fad. One. The, the this is the last piece going to go away. It's over. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Infinite scaling as a service offering. What could go wrong, right? Nothing. Nothing. Everything scales infinitely. It's accessible anywhere by anyone. There's nothing wrong with that picture. You know, Microsoft's just having a bad couple months, you know? They're just in a bad spot, you know? But They're everything's going to get better. Honestly, this is good press, because <laughs> I did not know that Cosmos TV even existed. I don't know about you. <laughs> Welcome to the oh, cloud. Okay. A ton of using, services you've never used. <laughs> I've been using Cosmos DB as a C2 for ages. Oh, well, you're bird. Sorry, buddy. Your <laughs> data, you, you your C2 data, it's in there. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. It's at risk oh, now. Oh, it is at risk. All of those beacons have been exposed. What else do we got today? Do we want to talk about the five different malware families that are targeting Pulse Secure. 
So according to a recent report, threat actors seem to be exploiting multiple vulnerabilities, CVE, a bunch of CVEs that affect Pulse Secure, including <laughs> buffer overflow, arbitrary code execution, funds, tons of fun stuff. Yeah, so Pulse Secure is on the attack and the remediation is upgrade your VPN firewall. I think it's interesting that when things like this, I, I didn't realize that they got acquired too. A lot of companies that we've tested or I've tested personally have Pulse Secure and set up. Um, and this is one of those patch management items, but uh, it's kind of like they put everything on the line with these uh, VPNs, right? Right. And we've seen Pulse Secure, I think, with a CVE almost every year. So, um, oh. And since this is the entryway into most networks, right, VPN, it's going to be highly targeted. So, yeah, we're going to see these scanning, uh, mass scanning opportunities every time a CVE is released for especially VPN. Well, at least until we can get rid of the VPN to an extent. What? We're going to get rid of VPNs? What is that, that going to entail? Not entirely, but... Are we going to stay zero trust? Haven't you heard of negative trust? Yes. Negative it's trust. Not, okay. It's like right. negative beyond one trust. zero trust, right? It's beyond. It's uh, infinity trust. Can we call it like that? <laughs> like infinity trust? Just so much trust that you forget about security? Just checking out the list of trademarks we registered. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, and then when I said like when we get rid of the VPN, I really meant we're going to reduce our surface area, hopefully, because we still can't prevent people from port forwarding three three eight nine out to the internet. So we're not getting rid of VPNs, but well, yeah, it's required for business purposes. Right, right. <laughs> Years ago, I was at RSA. You know, we talk we talk about buzzwords and things like that, like zero trust and negative trust. And Marcus Ranum is at the Tenable booth. And I want to say it was Fidelis on the other side. I could be wrong on that, um, but I think it was Fidelis. And he's like laughing his ass off. And he goes, you guys have got to go around on the other side. I was with Paul Isidorian. And you guys got to talk to these, these sales reps. And what they were doing was selling negative day threat protection. They had this like all over their booth, absolutely everywhere. It's just like negative day threat protection. We detect attacks before they're zero days. We went over and we started talking to this team, the sales team, and they brought over an engineer. And I'm like, could you guys please explain to us what the hell negative day threat protection? Kind of like Tom Cruise, right? Pre-cog. And, uh, yeah. and the, the, the tech is trying to explain it to us. He's like, well, the zero day is whenever it's released and there's no patch. We actually detect it before that. I'm like before it's released? Like before it's in the wild? Like how do you do that? And he finally just stops and he goes, look, guys, Seriously, just let this go. And I'm like, why? He goes, because what happened was a bunch of the engineers had like this great big, huge whiteboard and they wrote a whole bunch of buzzwordy, bingo-y type crap and they were writing jokes on the whiteboard. And one of the engineers wrote in great big, huge letters, we provide negative day threat protection. Well, somebody from marketing walked by and saw that joke board and just ran with the idea and just basically built it out. And that was literally what they were trying to market at RSA at one of the conferences. So you talk about like negative trust, you said it, I, I'm willing to bet in the next 18 months, because we uttered it here, there's going to be a vendor going to start talking about this and start selling products on it. So we should trademark it? All I right. think we should, because then we can sue them into oblivion. Whatever <laughs> Negative trust. Yeah, we might as well, we could get a few years out of that. I think before someone goes down the route. Yeah, until someone goes, no way, we've made it better with positive trust. I like the comment. Did you guys see the comments like, negative trust, the more I know about you, the less I trust you? <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much my default trust stance. So. The it's longer like a, yeah. it's on, 
the VPN, the slower we make it because we try. To <laughs> it's like it's like UBA where they just start throttling you after you like you go to CNN. They're like, oh, you got half speed now. You go to like <laughs> you go to like you know I don't know some kit cat enthusiast costume website but you know what it is actually a real thing like i'm on an i'm on an article right here journal of applied non-classical uh, logics and it says that negative trust is modeled in two forms distrust is the rejecting of incoming inconsistent information mistrust as revision for previously held information becoming undesirable in view of new incoming inconsistent information and the agent wishes to accept this is absolutely a thing it's not in computer science yet it's coming. We're going to have negative trust feet. So we need to just coin double negative trust then. <laughs> wait, does that wait? Does that is that double negatives then? Because if it's literally double negative trust. Is that what happens trust, to secure VPNs whenever they're exploited? Do they become a double negative trust VPN? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it balances out. It, it all balances out, out the end. trust. And then, then next gen negative trust. This would be amazing. Oh, <laughs> Wow. Negative trust next generation. Of course, we need that. Or NG. Just add NG to anything to make NG. it cool. So yeah, NG. Open. Douglas yeah. is right. Yes, negative, double negative trust. It literally just opens itself up and lets everything flow through. All right. So VPNs are going to get attacked, and that's great. But what about uh, old phishing attacks? They still haven't stopped. We've got a recent one. And Microsoft, who's got our back, has let us know about a new elaborate scheme to steal login uh, details. This uses something a little novel, kind of, and that is they're using open redirector links for the phishing emails. And what this allows the attacker to do is send a phishing email that has a somewhat legitimate URL inside of it. And then they'll like redirect it like four more times. So it's just like this endless redirect. And then Microsoft has stated and shown that they're using CAPTCHAs as well to make it seem a little bit more legitimate because who doesn't want to, after clicking a link, get to a CAPTCHA to make sure that it's really you. And then finally presenting the user with a login page for something like Office 365. So, um, it also prevents yeah. robots from clicking on the phishing links, and that's good. It, <laughs> so is this, this is, really isn't new, right? We've been phishing with open redirects for years, right? I think it's that with the CAPTCHA together. Those powers combined mm -hmm. is what makes it interesting i guess now the captcha's in would you guys ever use a captcha in in your fishing okay page? so here is the idea and this this is something that kind of piqued my interest with the captcha right so the idea with the captcha is that if somebody were to roll down the train or click on this some automated system that they're not going to ever get to that login page without entering the captcha right so it makes some user interaction automated systems don't go clicking every link and don't go trying to solve captchas mm -hmm because that's literally what they're meant to stop, right? Uh, to figure out what that next event is, you know, in that login. So, it's, yeah, it's almost I mean, plus, plus I think come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. I'm going to get CAPTCHA 5, uh, and you're going to make your, your email gateway figure that one out? Okay. I mean, like, I mean, it's probably possible, but you're not going to. Yeah, there's something but, with this, too, than the fact that, like, I feel like a user would, like, would click this link, see the CAPTCHA, and be like, oh, of course IT would make me do this CAPTCHA. <laughs> they have me do yeah. this. Like, yeah. and like, no, they just trust it more simply just because of that. It, it, it almost, yeah. I'm like, I can see this. Well, I can see this working. Does it mimic the actual site? That's the point, right? If you're going to be phishing, you need to have your target site match whatever they're supposed to be logging into. So if there is a CAPTCHA, then yeah, it makes sense. And I get the whole point of putting one in front of there to block but we have other ways to do that with mod rewrite and everything like that. So, but 
We've all been on part of engagements where we've stood up a phishing server, it gets scanned by a vendor, and then immediately it gets put on a deny list. I wonder if the mm -hmm. capture would actually shut that capability down. It's almost like we're taking two security technologies and turning them against each other. At that, it's point. good enough. I'll give it a shot next phishing yeah. engagement. Yeah. I'll do it. Not. it I'll, it's I'll, worth a shot. <laughs> Just please do me a favor, Corey. Don't do the ones where it's like pick out all the bicycles. Because I hate that. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, not that. Like, that, won't, that won't work to fish John because he'll just be like, "Ah, forget this," and he'll just like it. I like the <laughs> one where it's it like hard. a puzzle piece. You got to grab it and drop the puzzle yeah, piece. Drop it over. Those are my. And then it's like you're faster than everyone else. You're like, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm so smart. I'm better than make AI. a captcha where you have to solve a Sudoku <laughs> puzzle, and that's the captcha. Good. Or you make a captcha where you have to like figure out which part of this email is phishing. Hey, Ralph. <laughs> Yeah. Can we cover the Iran control room? I thought that the, one was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty elaborate. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. I was actually watching uh, Twitter when I saw that uh, come by. Um, so if you want to pull that up, it's pretty uh, interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of like straight out of a movie. Done some similar type hacks. You see the oh, control yeah, right. board there um, where I've taken control of the monitors on the control board in like a 911 center. But in this case, it's a prison. And you can watch the control board change as they're taken over. Yeah. Uh, oh, when we see the one right there is right, running Windows 10. So interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we could zoom in and see what uh, software they're on. Oh, there you go. Blue screen of death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, crashed. and that's an old blue screen, like a really old blue screen, by the way. I mean, we all I know that, like, but that's that's like a Vista or XP blue screen. Anyhow, one of them rebooted that one. Rebooted. One of them rebooted. <laughs> yeah, it's rebooting. Uh, now you see that the red like watch that because that comes back. That's important. So eternal blue, I wonder. Or yeah. Some other, yeah. I mean, memory. Corruption. So, so there's the first there's the first message, the first ransom message. And if you look at the security guard, he's like starting to freak yeah, this out is, now. This is epic. Now uh -huh. they all start flashing. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, no. Straight out of a movie. Yeah, this is like it. a hacking scene. That one is scene. still rebooting. I recommend safe mode. Oh, no, I got to get a picture. This is going on Snapchat. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta tell somebody. You gotta look at the moment he realizes, he realizes he's on CCTV. He kind of looks back and he's just like, oh, man, we're screwed. Hashtag Mondays. <laughs> Am I right, guys? Yeah. Uh, this is yeah, a bad the day worst, at the office man. for sure. So, I mean, what it, what does it take to get into a prison like this um, and take over the control center? Not much. Not much. Yeah, I well, once read a yeah. story kind of about that. Kind, at of, one time. kind of about that, yeah. That one on the bottom looks like Windows 7 to me, based on background. So. Oh, yeah, that's it's Windows 7 down there. I just can't believe how clean it is. Like, it's a really, really sharp-looking prison. <laughs> okay. This is the good. next part. This is the videos they were coming after. They were going after the hackers were taking videos from the CCTV system to prove that there was prisoner abuse in this system. Oh man. Yeah. I like yeah. how the guard is just sitting there. It's like it's another so, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this falls under hacktivism, right? Is, is that? I, is I that think that's what it is. Yeah. 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 For sure. Oh. oh, this is getting more and more gut wrenching as it goes on. It started mm -hmm. off hackery, and now it's just sad. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I feel like they probably haven't had a security assessment in a while with all those old Windows machines. Probably so ever. Maybe that was. Yeah, maybe that well, was. Well, you problem. know that that XP box is absolutely critical. And if they if they if they don't have that, and that system goes down, people might die. That's that's right. how it goes. Well, they're lucky the prisoners weren't released. I suppose. I don't know they if the systems would be tied IoT. together, but they cannot afford <laughs> IoT locks, dude. Those things are expensive. Yeah, they were they were using those old school locks, all steel, baby. Yeah, gross, <laughs> gross, man. Gross. So COVID.
that's an interesting attack. Another one I wanted to talk about today was uh, Bright Data. Anyone? Anyone? Uh, I think Corey's heard of, heard of Bright Data, right? Isn't oh, that like I've an Israeli it. intelligence firm? No, 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 no. I wouldn't say intelligence firm. I would say yeah. Uh, it's okay. so. Ralph, go ahead and run the article, and I'll give my insider's perspective. All right. So, Bright Data for everyone who doesn't know is a um, paid legal botnet. Well, legal, legal botnet. There you go. Quotes. Uh, air quotes. Legal botnet. A uh, very interesting tool, by the way. Uh, definitely something to check out. But Bright Data in is has been accused, which I don't really see why this wouldn't be true, of enabling the Philippines government to do DDoS attacks on opposition groups, which is absolutely something that you could use this for. And it is uh, kind of an interesting service where you can pretty much rent. IPs by the and pay by the data rate to obfuscate your traffic or I don't know run a DDoS attack. It is pretty wild what you can do with this. You can actually rent cellular IPs versus resident residential IPs. All kinds of fun stuff you can do here. But um, I would not be surprised, and this isn't very surprising that a company or excuse me, a country has been using it to do DDoS attacks or using it for some other malicious action. Yeah, so, so I never signed an NDA, so I can talk about this. <laughs> but I I have contacted this company before and used them, and I, I mean, it's a great product. But they were totally willing to let me use it to do a DDoS, so this checks out. <laughs> we actually had a client at my last firm ask, hey, can you DDoS us? And I was like, hold on, can we DDoS someone? That's um, not a question we you get very luckily often. We luckily talked them out of doing it. We were like, if you're worried about availability, maybe you should just not really worry about that and be concerned more with security. But we did talk to the company, uh, which who their product we were using at the time, and it's a good, you know, it works. And they were willing to let us do a DDoS attack against targets. So I guess it kind of brings up a deeper, uh, deeper conversation about how do you verify if your client, if you're this company and your client comes to you saying, hey, you know, we're a security testing company. We're just doing this for security testing purposes. And you say, okay, we'll let you use our network for this. How can you verify that it's actually who they say they are? And, well, you know, if you're the Philippine government, I guess you might have a decent amount of sway, but so <laughs> I don't... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify this legally just for everybody. You can't. Like, even if they give you permission, you can't. There you go. Because if you look at a lot of computer security laws around the world and in the United States, if you even degrade the performance of an ISP, then that is technically considered an attack. So if you have permission from the target and you're launching the attack from someplace else and it traverses across ISP lines and it degrades those lines, they can absolutely come after you and you can go to prison for that. So it's not an issue of just getting permission from a customer. Like you'd have to get permission from every single ISP between here and there. So just don't. Don't do DDoS attacks. So, so that's the like, rules in the U.S. government. But what about the Philippine government, though? Because like we're talking yeah, about the, the United government. States believes that it has jurisdiction if the attack originates or the targets in the United States or if it traverses across U.S. ISP lines. And unless you're testing it directly in the Philippines and you're like right in front of the server, I wouldn't even risk it. Right. Just for context for the story, just to kind of complete it out, there Bright Data has said that you know this reported incident is false, unprofessional, and unethical. So they're pretty much denying the claims around this, and that you know Bright Data was even used for this. Now, um, as we've kind of talked about, that is what you could use this for, and whether you should be doing it is obviously 
probably not, but it, it does kind of check out as something that's possible, right? Their service, it's, yeah, even though that they don't provider. support that. They're an infrastructure yes. provider. And actually how they, just to give you behind the hood of how it works, the basically the product by default only will let you hit port individual ports, specifically 80 and 443, and other maybe some other common web ports. To get like actual raw stuff opened up, you have to like the product doesn't do that by default. So they would have had to directly contact or directly work with the company to allow them to directly use it to target in a DDoS kind of way. I mean, I I guess they don't define what a DDoS is. I mean, is it? Yeah. I don't know, but. It's as an infrastructure provider, you have to police this stuff. If you go spin up a DigitalOcean instance and start to DDoS from it, they're going to be like, "Hey, no, don't do that." They're going to police it immediately. So, so would low orbit ion cannon work over this? Yeah, just make sure you set it to one two seven zero zero one. That's the fastest DDoS you can run. Yeah, no, really, it, it's very effective, actually. If people are wondering what the law is, it's the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And it's uh, section A5A, knowingly causes the transmission of a program information code or command that results in such conduct intentionally causes damage without authorization. And if you degrade the CPU cycles of a routing or backbone infrastructure, that constitutes as damage. You don't have to actually break anything or hurt anything just by simply slowing down the network connectivity for that ISP. You can, they can basically come at you and say that that causes damage. And based on how the company's uh, infrastructure works, they they lease their space, so there's mm-hmm. no way that they cannot they they have to do that. I mean, even if you are your own ISP, you still have to like traverse other networks, right? So yeah, I mean, it is interesting. What are their laws in Israel, right? I know there's a decent amount of like Israel security related startups. I'm not sure if they have laws related to that, but it's an Israeli company, so Bad I stuff. do like how they threw NSO Group under the bus in this article. Like oh, it yeah. just, it, it's out of the middle of nowhere. And they talk about this and then they just in the middle, they're like, and this comes on the wave of NSO groups, Pegasus being used for unethical purposes. It's like, <laughs> kind of like an unnecessary, I mean, don't get me wrong, NSO Zing. deserves it, but it's just like, if somebody at NSO reading this, like, why us? Mm. Why, why us? <laughs> Come on, man. I'm already down. You got to kick me off down. <laughs> He's already dead. Stop. DDoSs are bad, but uh, it sounds like some Florida woman had a case of the Mondays recently, and uh, she was convicted of wrecking digital havoc on the computer systems after she was terminated from her employer. So mm. I guess on the way out, she was being escorted out of the building by two employees, she was repeatedly hitting the delete key on her desktop computer. Later, she logged into the computer system that's used to manage applications for employment at the company. And over the next two days, she ran a rampage through and deleted 1,700 job applications and resumes, leaving messages with profanities inside the system, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Fun stuff, right? So why did she still have access? and? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was actually when this article was dropped to the Discord. One of my favorite comments with it was like, and then did she call the IT department and like berate them on how poor their policies of terminating employees <laughs> yes. and removing access were? Like, it was the best. I, I don't, I'd have to, I'll have to hunt up who said that, but it was, it was great. I, I just love how she kept going. It's like, yeah. you know, as you're reading it, you're like, okay, a normal person would stop here. Oh no, she didn't stop. 
Okay. <laughs> Someone who's kind of crazy would stop. No, she just kept going. Did you and... hear the Florida woman part? Yeah, it's Florida woman. I wasn't surprised. <laughs> that was the first part of the article. I mean, it really changes the perspective. Normally it's Florida man. Now it's Florida woman. We are equal opportunists here in Florida. We want them all to succeed at wrecking stuff up. I love how Florida is like the Russia of the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Where where a normal person would stop, that's where Florida begins. (laughs) So this gets into a bigger question of how do you properly terminate someone, right? So Mm -hmm. years ago when I was at Northrop Grumman, we had a project that they were shutting down. And they needed to finish the last release before we handed over, I think it was like to Raytheon. And there was like 150 employees. The manager came and talked to the security team. And they're like, so what are we going to do with this? I'm like, well, I recommend if these people are all being terminated that you kind of let them know at the very last minute and we cut off their access because that's just what you do. And they opted instead to let everybody know. They said, look, we've got to get this project out for the last revision. We have one month and we're all off this project. We're all fired but we need you all to work hard on this project with us so we can make it across the finish line. And oh, by the way, Northrop Grumman is just going to terminate all of you because we don't have a project for you. So they tried to keep everyone after they notified them that they were going to be terminated in a month on the project (laughs) to finish the project, which you can just guess how that worked out. It didn't work out well. The project didn't get done. And we had like all kinds of bad programming errors that were made in that last revision. So that's not a way to fire someone this is also not a way to fire someone and just like let them still come in and raise hell with your system. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like she was a little crazy. And when you saw her get even crazier on the way out, you were like, well, we'll get around to shutting off that account someday here. And uh, it's it's on the short list, but we'll get to it. I wonder if she hit the delete key in a locked workstation, you know, just pressing uh, a button, even though it does nothing. I, uh, insider threat, uh, you know, watch out Almost for... a free security assessment. She's yeah. probably getting job offers from the ransomware gangs at this point. They're like, you're great at destroying data. No. Maybe so they hired her. Maybe they hired her. Yeah. It was all part of an probably, you know what? Plan. You know what it might have been? Maybe they're going to install ransomware in a jail now, because she's now an insider at the jail, probably. So, <laughs> so now they can do <laughs> ransomware <laughs> inside of a jail. That- you think they have the prisoner's file share just to open access? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is really a long con, man. Yeah. Really, really looking for the uh, the weak spots in, <laughs> in this prison, right? Oh, gosh. What about a new framework for NIST? Uh, all right, let me rephrase this. What about another NIST for producing another cybersecurity framework? So I guess the White House has tasked NIST with producing another cybersecurity framework recently in the article. Oh, good. There, yes, we need one more. Isn't this kind um, of along that lines of like, at one time there was seven cybersecurity frameworks that didn't do it properly. So two guys got together and said, we're going to put them all, they're going to make a new one that's going to do it all properly. And then it says like in the next like box, it goes, there was then eight cybersecurity frameworks a, that did not do it properly. That's an XKCD yeah. comic. Yeah. There are now 42 standards. You know, there's one right. that can unify. Yeah. So uh, James and Kelly Trolla at Audit Scripts and Enclave, they've created a tool called the Common Control Catalog that takes every single audit framework and it breaks it down to like 150 technical controls. And then they cross map all of those 150 controls across every single audit framework and in, in, in out there. And one of the things that they discovered, and you can see it too, is the huge gaps that exist in these frameworks. 
So every time someone comes up with a framework, they come up with like glaring like things that they miss. And what they discovered is something like 35% of the security frameworks out there actually mention patching. There's entire frameworks about how to secure your systems that completely neglect to mention patching and updating your systems. So I just, I just don't understand how another framework's going to fix this. Like somebody has got to sit down with the White House and with CISA and basically be like, it's time to stop. Take the hammer away from the monkey. We don't need another audit framework. So supposedly, another big thing that I actually heard about this, and this was in the article, and is that a bunch of the large tech companies, including IBM and Google, are committed to increasing training and certification for over 250,000 people over the next three years. And that's kind of their other thing is doing training for cybersecurity. Microsoft said that they were going to be spending 10 billion and Google is going to be spending 10 billion and Microsoft 20 billion respectively in cybersecurity over the next five years. And they're going to expand zero trust. So um, yeah, exactly. And they're going to work on supply chain and enhanced open security standards. Um, So I, I think the two big things here is that there's trying to work toward more cybersecurity trained professionals, because obviously we don't, we're, we're at a, actually, that's actually is a real problem that we don't have enough people in cybersecurity, you know, and then also trying to improve, uh, you know, supply chain and other stuff like that. Um, but I mean, I don't know how necessarily Google and Microsoft by themselves solve that problem. But, well, we'll you know, just... rename uh, we'll rename a current service to a new service, and um, it'll protect the underlying service that we wrote that does not <laughs> do a very good job at securing itself. So we'll just sell you something else that we made to secure ourselves. Just keep layering it on, Steve. There just you keep go. Layering it on. So I've got yeah, this to say I... to Google and Microsoft: set your sights a little higher. We'll end up beating you. So like, <laughs> with, with anti-siphons pay-what-you-can training, we're like training thousands of people through every single run. Set your sights a little higher because if, if we can beat you in the basement in South Dakota, you, I, I demand that you do better. How much will it cost? Only two, 20 billion, 30 100 billion? So it's much. a discount. All yeah. of it? It's a discount at 20 billion. Did they get a returning how customer many, discount? How many, Bezo- <laughs> how many Bezos bucks do I need? <laughs> like three bezos bucks i mean he's got lots three. of bucks barrel yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's got bucks we can't even think about right <laughs> uh <laughs> what is it i heard somebody say that uh if you make less than four million a year you're poor what relatively speaking yeah yeah relatively Dang, compared to okay. bezos like yeah, you're like, <laughs> you're like dude like if you you are, if- you are so poor i don't even know how to Put this in perspective for you, man. If you like, can't give a dollar to every human on earth, then you're poor. <laughs> was the, there was like a social influencer that had this video about how whenever he goes out with his friends, he lists out what, how much money they all make and what activities they're willing to do. And, and he scrolled down to the bottom and he goes, here's our, our, here's our lowest paid friend. It's like, they call him like broke bill or something. And he only makes $175,000. <laughs> so he's not willing to go in on uh, Learjet with us whenever we rent it to go off to Europe. And that's whenever you realize that like, there is just this few, like you think you've made it pretty well in your career. And then they look at you as just, you're just one hair above people sleeping on the street in San Francisco and peeping and like pooping in corners, right? Yeah, that, that Learjet, you're going you're gonna to have to get into the back with steerage, right? You're going you're gonna to get in ride, <laughs> ride with the luggage, 175K, get out of here. Well, uh, I think well, that's... Uh, 
all we had for today. I want to give a special thanks to Tom Cruise and his action that created Thank lots Tom. of laughs. It's coming on the show still, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, we're going to try and get him on next true. week or something. Yeah, we're oh, gonna, I, I, we I just have got a text talent. from his agent. I think his car got stolen again, actually. <laughs> Mission Impossible 8, negative trust. And uh, negative trust is coming soon. Black Hills is going to be uh, creating negative trust. Want, I'm just kidding. I want royalties. That's all I'm saying. If there's a that. hacking scene, Steve is going to star as an extra. Sir, do you need this extra keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the dual hack, right? perfect perfect but uh anyways thanks everyone for uh joining us for another exciting episode and uh we will check you guys next time we're gonna fly out later guys I don't only endorse people in anti-submarine warfare. I also oh, you better here, be an expert. If you're going to endorse me, you're going to have to make sure you're a real expert because I get a lot of references. I'm going to be sending you job offers a lot. I'll, that I get. I'll be going out to like the pool later, and I'll like make some Tupperware submarines, and I'll work on sinking them. There, so. dude. All right, that's put that in your yeah, put that in your bio. <laughs> like I'm an anti-submarine warfare expert. I didn't classify what kind of submarines though. Submarine sandwiches. <laughs>